Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Good morning, everyone. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have a quick announcement before we jump into our time of teaching. So if you could get your program out, I'd like to highlight something that's going on, a need that we have with our First Impressions team. How many of you are part of First Impressions? Yeah, and we have more than are in here because they're out there still doing their job. First Impressions is a group of people that volunteer every weekend to help others feel welcomed onto our campus. If you're brand new walking onto this campus, you don't know what's what. You're trying to figure out where am I supposed to go. These people help you get where you need to go or help your kids get to where they need to go. There's all sorts of things that people who are on this team help us do on a weekend. And we have a need for people to join this team. So on this middle section here, you'll see this little graph that's there. I, I, I can't do the math real quick in my head, but I think it's about 40-ish people that we need to help step up for our first impressions team. And so um, if you kind of, I can do this kind of math. I think we could cover the base just with this service <laughs> if uh, people were willing to help with that. And so here's the thing. If you have a desire to help people feel welcomed and you think, God, hey, maybe you got my name on this, take out your connect card, write first impressions, and then which of these things you'd like to, to help with. Or if you just have more questions, you could write that down and someone will contact you and help you with that. And apparently I have a really scary voice this morning because someone's freaking out over there. So, yes. Right, exactly. So, um, that's, that's that. So that's our announcement today. Now, if you're looking at me and you're kind of scratching your head and you're feeling like you have a sense of deja vu, like wasn't Joel just up last week? What's going on? Here, here's what happened this week. Um, Mike needed to perform his civic duty. And so he got called on as a juror for the great county of Ventura. So uh, Mike's been out all this week fulfilling that role. And so we got, he talked to me last week and said, hey, can you cover the base? And I said, no. And then he's like, well, you need to. I said, okay, I'll cover the base. So, um, <laughs> so here I am this morning. And uh, it's kind of fun when God surprises you. <laughs> I'm, I'm a scheduler. And so when stuff like just pops up, like, oh, good. So what are you going to do with this one, God? And so what was supposed to happen today is we were supposed to jump back into our series in Galatians. Remember that? Once upon a time. We were going through this series in the book of Galatians, looking at the freedom that we have in Christ. And then this summer, God took us on a wild ride as he took one of our greatest crisis, crises and turned it into an opportunity for us to have a heart of generosity birthed within us as individuals and as a church. And so as we go into the fall, we're going to get back into the book of Galatians. And so as I was thinking about it this week, I was like, well, why don't we reflect a little bit on one of the big lessons we've learned as a church from Galatians to remind us of this freedom that we've come to embrace in Christ and, and also to kind of look at a mistake we need to avoid. So as we continue in the series, we're reminded and ready to go for next week. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So um, if you remember, Paul wrote the book of Galatians to a group of churches in the region of Galatia. Now, this was a group of churches that he and his buddy Barnabas helped get started. And what's interesting about the churches in Galatia, they're predominantly Gentile churches, so non-Jewish Christians. So the early church was started primarily by Jews who encountered the Messiah in Christ. He turned their world upside down, made everything right for them for the first time, and then the movement began to spread beyond that. And it was interesting to watch that as it started to cross cultural and social and religious barriers, the movement of Jesus was just taking off. And people were coming to the one who'd come to rescue them and free them. And so Paul and Barnabas, two Jewish Christians, brought the message of Jesus to these Gentiles, and their life took off. 
And then Paul and Barnabas came back to their home church in Antioch. And then they got word that this group of religious teachers had come to these churches they started and were telling them, no, in order to be right with God, like Jesus is a great start, but in order to be right with God, you actually have to start observing the law. So essentially, to become a good Christian, you have to become a good Jew. And so this was throwing these Gentile Christians into confusion because they're like, well, I thought it was Jesus. And these other teachers are now coming and saying, well, no, you have to become circumcised, which that would be a tough thing to embrace. And you have to start observing all these dietary laws and all these things. And so Paul wrote his letter to remind them, look, guys, it's not about the law. It's about Jesus. He's the one who freed you. This is what it's about. And so in our story today, I want us to take a look at something that Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, because he's going to confront Peter over something. And so as we get into this, let me just kind of set the stage. If you want to get your Bibles out to Galatians chapter 2, open them up to there. But Paul's telling a story to these Galatian churches about a time when Peter came and visited this church in Antioch, and how Paul needed to confront Peter over a mistake that Peter was making. So again, what was interesting about this church in Antioch that was going on is you have, for one of the first times, you have this fusion of Jews and Gentiles doing church life together. So they're all coming to Christ. They're all trying to figure out what it means. Because prior to Christ, that would never have happened. You had two people in that, that day. You had Jews and you had not Jews or Gentiles. And so now suddenly Christ comes, flips everything around, frees everyone, and they're starting to do life together. And so Peter comes to visit this church to hang out with them and tell them what's going on. Now, you got to imagine you would be pretty excited if Peter was coming to visit your church, right? Because this is the guy we've heard all the stories about. Like, this is the guy that walked on water for a little bit and then sank. You know, like, this is the guy that's walked with Jesus. We're going to get to hear firsthand from one of his core followers, this person named Jesus that we've come to follow, that we've come to love. And so Peter comes, and he's hanging out with them. And so here's Peter, a Jew who's been transformed by Christ, hanging out with Jews and Gentile Christians. And then these group, this group of men come, from this strict religious background, who were Christians, but were saying that in order to be a follower of Christ, you have to become a Jew. And they come and visit this church as well. And then Peter starts backing off from hanging out with the Gentiles. Suddenly, Peter starts acting like a Jew again, instead of a Jew who's been set free from, by Christ. And it throws everyone in confusion. And you got to imagine if you were there in the church, you're hanging out and you're a Gentile, hanging out with Jews, that never happens, but Christ is doing something extraordinary. And now you're hanging out together, and then here's Peter, and you're eating together, you're having a good time, and all of a sudden, Peter starts to back away and says, well, I can't eat with you anymore. Well, why not? Well, because you're a Gentile. Well, I, th- I thought in Christ we were all good now. And he's like, well, actually, to be right with God, you've got to do some things. Here's some hoops to jump through. And so there was this confusion. And so Paul's going to talk about this encounter and how he got in Peter's face. And if you remember the last time we were together, the last thing that we studied in Galatians was out of Galatians chapter 5, and it's there on your message notes, this verse that we looked at last time we were together in this series. Paul wrote this to remind them of the freedom. He goes, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Going back to the old religious system, the old religious way. And so in Galatians 2, This is what we see as Paul describes this encounter he has with Peter. So pick it up with me in verse 11. We read this. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Now you've got to have some confidence in your position 
if you're going to talk about calling Peter out, right? I mean, this is Peter, like one of the three core of the first 12 followers of Christ. And so Paul's like, no, he was wrong. So I got in his face and told him. And here's what Peter was doing. He said, before certain men came from James, he, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Right? So he's all, all freaked out and they're like, wait a second, these guys are saying, Peter, you're a Jew, you can't hang out with Gentiles. And he's completely forgetting everything that Christ has shown him and taught him. If you read in Acts 10 and 11, you see where Christ messed Peter up by bringing this blanket of food and said, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, Lord, that's unclean. And Jesus says, don't you dare call anything unclean that I call clean. And then he introduces him to a Gentile friend named Cornelius. And boom, the movement of Jesus spreads. And so Peter's backing off from all the stuff that Christ has freed him from. And this is what happens in verse 13. The other Jews, the other Christian Jews who were part of this church, joined him, Peter, in his hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So Paul's partner, Paul, Paul's friend who he helped get these churches started, even Barnabas is falling into this mistake. And so Peter is making this mistake, and Paul's going to get in his face over it. And so verse 14, he says, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And now here's something that we need to understand if we're going to figure out what's going on here. Is this thing called the gospel. You know, it's this word that we hear. If, you're, if you have iTunes, it's a category of music on your iTunes playlist, right? Oh, I have gospel music, right? But the thing, that the gospel is this message of Jesus the good news of who he is and what he's done for us. And so that we understand what Paul's talking about here, I just want to pause in Galatians just for a second. And if you could flip to the left in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 3. Paul spells out for us what he means by this idea of the gospel, what he means by the good news of Jesus and what that means for us. In Romans chapter 3, Paul spells out for us how it is we're made right with God. Start in verse 19. And so Paul says, Now we know that whatever the law says, so all the Old Testament commands, all those things, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced in the whole world held accountable to God. So, so no one can say, well, I didn't know God. The guy's like, no, I gave you the law. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. That, that idea of being righteous is living life right. And so what Paul is saying is like no one's going to be righteous. No one's going to be made right in his own sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Oh, I am a screw up. But now, look at verse 21. But now a righteousness, a way of living life right from who? From God. Apart from law. So it has nothing to do with observing the law. Has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify. So everything that was written in the Old Testament was pointing to this righteousness that was going to come from God. That there was going to come a day where God was going to make us right by something he was going to do for us. So this righteousness, this, this way of living life right from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That as we put our trust in Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us, that's how we suddenly get right with God. That he gives us his righteousness. Paul goes on, there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter, Jew or Gentile, we've all messed up. We've all fallen short. Not one of us measures up. And again, it doesn't matter, Jew or Gentile. Verse 24, 
and are justified. All of us are justified. The word justified means to be made right. All of us are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That Christ came for us. Christ came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves and to pay the price for our failure. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Is that we don't have to try and earn it anymore. In fact, we can't. But he came to make it possible for us. It's like Jesus came to pay off our debt and give us his line of credit. So here I am, bankrupt before God, and Jesus comes and says, through my sacrifice on the cross, I'll pay the price for that failure. But not only that, I'll give you my righteousness now. And so before God, we are made right through him. That's the gospel. So can you see why Paul is getting upset with Peter back in the story in Galatians? Because Peter is going back away from all of that. He's going back to the law. He's going back to, well, in order to be right, I have to be a good Jew. And the message is confusing everyone, what Peter's doing, this mistake. So go back to Galatians with me, Galatians 2, verse 14. Paul says, when I saw that they, that these Jewish friends of mine, were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all. So he calls him out. He says, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. Peter, you've been set free from all these things that we've had to do our whole lives, and you're not living like this anymore. You're living in that freedom. He goes, how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So why are you forcing these non-Jewish people to act like Jewish people when you are a Jewish guy not living like a Jewish guy anymore? Peter, this doesn't make sense. In verse 15, he says, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners... Right? And now Paul is saying to Peter, look, you and I both grew up Jewish. You and I both lived in this old way of trying to make ourselves right with God. And remember, there used to be two kinds of pe- people, Peter. There was us Jews, and then there was the sinners who were Gentiles. Right? We were good, and they weren't. And the reason why we were good is because we had the law. He goes, we know that a man is not justified, is not made right by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith faith, our trust in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified, we may be made right by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Peter, what are you doing, man? You're making a mistake. He goes on, he goes, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, while we seek to be made right in Jesus, It becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Look, if you're seeking to be justified by finding faith in Christ, by having faith in him, and you suddenly realize that you're screwed up, you know what that means? You need Jesus. That's what that means. Because if I rebuild what I destroyed, if, if I go back to living according to the law, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. I just made a mistake by stepping away from the law. Now I'm going back to it, so now I'm screwed no matter what. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Well, Paul, how does that happen? How do we die to the law, through the law, so that we could live for God? Well, Jesus said something amazing about the law in Matthew 5. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And then he goes to the cross and takes the place for our failure 
And so he measures up for us on our behalf. So through him, the law is fulfilled on our behalf. So Paul, how do you live for God then? Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That through him, I've died to the old ways. I've died to the old life. And now he has put his spirit in me. He's given me his righteousness. He's justified me. And now he lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Can you tell Paul's a little passionate about this? Peter, what are you doing, man? Because if you think about it, there's basically two approaches to being made right with God. There's the religious approach, which is us trying to make ourselves right with God based on what we do, trying to justify ourselves. And then there's this new way that God brings to us through Jesus, this relational approach, that I am made right with God, not by anything I do, but by trusting in what Jesus has done for me. And this is the mistake that Peter's starting to make. He's backing away from this, and he's throwing everyone into confusion. And the problem for us when we make this mistake is that there's a serious problem with religion. I don't know if you've ever figured this out. Have you figured this out yet? There's a problem with religion. Maybe you haven't identified what the problem is, but religion is kind of this ugly thing. But here's the thing. Here's the problem with religion. First thing, if you want to take notes today. Religion emphasizes our performance. And when we move in this direction, when we try to make ourselves right with God based on our own performance, we are starting to make the mistake Peter was making. And once it becomes about our performance, it's no longer about what Jesus has done for us. It's about me trying to make myself right with God based on my efforts, based on my own attempt at righteousness, as if I could fix my biggest problem. You know what that is? Me. You know how I know that I am my own biggest problem? Because I know what your biggest problem is. You. Have you figured that out yet? And this is the problem with religion, is that I think I can make myself right with God based upon my performance. It's a form of self-justification. And when we start to make this mistake, we start to do what I like to call dog show Christianity. Have you ever seen a dog show on TV? Have you ever been like flipping through and all of a sudden like Animal Planet comes on and it's the Yukonuba dog show? And it's like this fascinating thing. I can't, I can't not watch it because it's so ridiculous to see these people all prim and proper running with their dogs, you know, running around. <laughs> So here you have this obstacle course that's been created for these dogs to run through, right? And so the goal for the dog is to run through the course the best and the fastest, right? So, okay, dog, run through this course. Jump over this. Go into this. Roll, flip, hide, bark, you know, all these things. And then the dog is supposed to win ultimately what? Best in show. Oh, the goal of the Yukonuba dog show is to be top dog, Right? <laughs> And when we try to make ourselves right with God by doing the performance game, we're, we're doing a dog show for God. Hey, God, look at me. Look at how good I am. Watch, God, I'm going to jump through this hoop. Watch, God, I'm going to go over this. Watch, God, I'm going to see you. Look, God, look how good I am. Best in show. Here I am, God. 
and we play this performance game as if we could ever impress God based on what we do. And the tragedy with this is that we are totally missing out on the gospel when we do this. Because part of understanding the gospel is realizing that we can't make ourselves good enough in God's eyes. And now someone might say, well, hold on, wait a second, though. I mean, didn't God give us the law? Like, didn't God give us this list of ten things? So isn't that sort of like hoops that we need to jump through? So if God gave us the law, then shouldn't I be able to, like, like live up to it and jump through these hoops? I mean, why did God give us the law? Let me tell you, I think God gave us the law for two reasons. First reason God gave us the law was to show us what it would look like to live the right kind of life. Right? So basically, this is the minimum height requirement to get on the right. The second reason God gave us the law is to show us that we can't do it. Well, that's not fair, God. That's not very nice. Why would you do that? Like, God, why would you raise the bar so high that I can't live up to it? And yet if you think about the 10 that God gave us, it's not like he set the bar very high. I mean, think about these 10 commands. I mean, this is the minimum height requirement. Let's walk through these together real quick. Here's the Ten Commandments. The first four have to do with our relationship with God. The other six have to do with our relationship with one another. And so let's just go, let me just tell you what they are. First one is this. Uh, Don't have any other gods before me. Kind of basic if you think about it. I'm God. No one else is. So don't have other gods. And yet, how easy it is to forget that. How easy it is to go through life living like God doesn't exist. You don't have to be an atheist to do that. Christians can do that all the time when we live our lives not bringing God into the equation and putting other things before him. But you got to think, like, how basic is that? That God has to start off by saying, I'm God, no one else is. Let's just get that established. Second one, don't make any idols out of the stuff I've created. Because that's stuff, not me. So don't go and cut down a tree and make a little idol and then worship the little idol that you've made because that's not me. That's the stuff I created. And we don't make that mistake anymore because we're civilized. You know, we're very cultured now. So we don't make little idols at all. I mean, never mind the pieces of paper and the square little pieces of plastic in my wallet. Never mind those things, right? And, and never mind the idol I look at every morning in the mirror and seek to make happy the rest of my life, right? I live for that one. Right, but no, we don't have a problem with this. <laughs> third one, don't misuse my name. I'm God. Show some respect. And I think it's so much more than simply cussing or swearing with God's name. Because if we say that we belong to him, we say we're representing him in this world. And so how many times do we misrepresent him in this world? Fourth one, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Right, the goal of God giving us the Sabbath was this idea, like, stop and rest in life. Don't be running around crazy pursuing the rat race, running yourself ragged. Stop and remember that I'm God, and I will provide for you, and so breathe. Don't be consumed with doing. Remember, I created you to be. Be with me and walk with me. And yet, how many times do we violate the principle of this commandment by not stopping to be still with him? And just be running, 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 pursuing the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and not stopping to say, God, I don't care if I don't get it all. I want to focus on you. So the first four have to do with our relationship with him. Now the rest of the six, 
have to do with our relationship with one another. And the fifth commandment is every parent's favorite commandment. Honor your father and mother. And if you've got kids, you love this one, right? I mean, you put it up in the bathroom where they'll see it every day, right? And let me tell you, every generation loves the fifth commandment for the generation they've birthed. But every generation rebels against this commandment with the generation that birthed them, right? And so like, well, God, I love this for them, but I don't want to have to live up to this with my folks, right? And I think as kids, it does mean obedience, but as we get older, what does honoring mean? I, I think it means respecting, providing, taking care of. Well, God, isn't that the government's job? Isn't that Social Security? Like, what do you mean, honor my parents? Like, no, they're supposed to give me an inheritance. What are you talking about? Never broken that one. Number six, don't murder. Okay, how basic do you have to get? Hey, as you go through life together, like I've created you to like be together, like, so don't kill each other because that's bad. This is like setting up shop for kindergartners on the first day, right? Don't run with scissors. Like, it's this basic. Don't sleep with each other's spouses because I've created marriage. So don't do that. Like, oh, okay, good. I'll write that one down. Don't steal from each other. What I want, their stuff. Yeah, but it's not your stuff. So don't take it. Oh, right, okay, okay. (laughs) Don't lie about each other. Right? So you're hanging out and you're telling a story about a friend and you tell the story in such a way that you look like the good guy and they look like the jerk. Yeah, that's number nine. Don't do that. And number ten, just so we're clear, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. So don't even want to take what belongs to your neighbor. Don't want to take your neighbor's stuff. Don't want to take your neighbor's wife. And don't want to take your neighbor's life so you can have his stuff and his wife. Right? So number ten, don't want to do these things. And we look at this like, oh, God, you set the bar so high. And it's like, are you kidding me? This is the minimum height requirement to get on the ride. And here's the tragedy. We don't measure up. Because what's going on here is so much more than external conformity to a list of rules. What's going on here is what this points out about the condition of our hearts. Because when Jesus came on the scene, he didn't lower the bar. He helped flesh out the point of the bar. And in Matthew 5, Jesus says some crazy stuff. He says, look, you've heard that it was said, do not murder or you will be subject to judgment. I tell you that if you're angry with your brother, you will be subject to judgment. That it's more than not like, oh God, I've never killed someone. I've never murdered anybody, but I wanted to, right? And I know every single one of you wanted to as well. You know how I know that? (laughs) We live in LA and drive on the freeways, right? (laughs) Come on, be honest. How many of you have not, you've all been there, right? You're in the car and that guy's tailgating you or they're going really slow and you're angry in one way or the other and you're driving and all of a sudden they're next to you and you're like, it would be so easy. Like just... (laughs) I don't know what happened, officer. I just lost control of the vehicle. It's a Toyota. I don't know, right? Like, like this is my thing, right? Oh. And what Jesus is saying is in that moment, you're violating the minimum height requirement. He goes on. He goes, look, you've heard it said do not commit adultery with women, but I say if you look lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Oh. Are you kidding me? I thought I was doing good. Do you understand that the purpose of the law was to show us that there is something fundamentally wrong with us? 
And to understand the gospel, we have to understand this is the bad news. That we've blown it. And we don't measure up. But the good news of the gospel is that God has sent his son to help us and to take care of this. That Jesus has come to measure up for us by fulfilling the law on our behalf. And then to lift us up on the ride by paying the price for our failure. And that is how we are justified now. That is how we are given righteousness, is by trusting him and putting our faith in him and walking with him the best that we know how. Jesus pays the price for our failure. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. He measured up for us, and then he lifts us onto the right. And this is why Paul is going after Peter. Peter, do you understand the mistake? And this is why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Peter, don't you understand the mistake that you're making? Peter, don't you understand how devastating this is going to be, not just for yourself, but for everyone around you, because people are going to follow suit if you go back to the old way. If you start embracing the religious system, everyone else is going to think that's how they have to be right with God. And Peter, we know better than this, because we've experienced the one who set us free. And yet, if you understand the mistake Peter's making, it is so easy for us to make that mistake in life, isn't it? It's so easy for us to start to play the performance game, to think that in order to be right with God, I have to somehow perform for God. That I have to make myself right. Well, God, I'm going to be a good person, so look at all the things that I'm doing, right? And God's like, you can't be. Look at what I've done for you and live in that. And yet it's such such a subtle shift, and it's an easy mistake to make. So what I'd like to do is take some time and paint a picture for you of what it looks like when we make the mistake Peter's making to paint a picture for you of what it looks like when we start to play the performance game. And my hope for us today is that some of us, this may resonate with what's going on in our life right now and may awaken us to the reality that, hey, we don't have to play the game anymore. And maybe the mistake I'm making is I'm starting to play the game and I can enter back into what Jesus has come to do for me. And, And my hope is that for some of you here today, maybe you're here today and you don't really know why you're here today. Like, how did I get into church? I never wanted to come back to this place again in my life. And my hope for you is that maybe you will see, as we talk about what the performance game looks like, that maybe you'll begin to understand that that what I've rejected wasn't Jesus. It was religion. And maybe there's something more to this than what I saw or experienced once upon a time. And so let's look at what the performance game leads to. It leads to some ugly stuff. Here's the first thing that the performance game leads to. It leads to wearing masks. So when we start to play this game and we try to measure up based on our own effort, our own goodness, we quickly realize something. We don't and we can't. And instead of being real about that, instead of saying like, hey, maybe this is the reason Jesus came to free me from this. Instead, we start to pretend and hide it and then pretend that we have it all put together and we start to put on the masks, right? We put on the mask of everything's fine. And I've got it all put together. And don't anyone look at what's going on behind here because I'm fine, right? Let's just have an honest moment here, okay? Would you be willing to be honest with me and just together? Okay. How many of you have ever had a fight 
right before, on the way, or in the parking lot coming to church, right? Okay, so yeah, you're, all right, thanks for being honest. Okay, I've been there, I've been there. What do you do in that moment besides try to win? <laughs> right? Because if we're truly entering into the freedom Christ has given us, we would pause and say, I'm sorry. I still think I'm right. <laughs> but I'm sorry for the way I'm trying to show you I'm right. Like we, we would let him meet us in that moment and realize there's something wrong. And God, I need help with this, right? But when we play the performance game, what we do in that moment is we pretend that nothing's wrong. And, and stop and think about it. Because I, I think usually in those moments, we kind of fight in one of three ways. The first way that we fight in those moments is we just let it fly. And we just tell that person what we think about them and what they've done. And the reason we're late is because of them. Or like this is not, I'm sorry I didn't get the preferred parking spot, right? Whatever it is that we're fighting over. And we say things that we know we shouldn't say. And so we just let it out. Another way that we fight (laughs) is that we don't say bad things or wrong things. But we say things in such a way that they know what we're feeling, right? And so it's like these, jab, these jabs. But what the brilliance of that is that we suddenly have plausible deniability. What did I say? I didn't say anything wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, it's how you said it. Or a third way I think we fight in those moments is that as we become upset with that person, we just hold it all in, and it seethes within us. And I may never say it, but man, if you knew what I was thinking... I'm breaking so many commandments right now. (laughs) And when we play the performance game, we have to pretend like none of that happened. And so we show up to a place like this, angry with someone else, but suddenly I have to put up the front for all of you. So I open the door to the car. All right, everyone, let's go. Bible's up. Jesus, smile on. Here we go. (laughs) How are you today? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. Stop asking me. I'm good, right? Like... You know, and you hate that greeting time because it's like, <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you, right? Because underneath the mask, man. <laughs> and we play this game and we pretend. And we put up the front for everyone around us while underneath the mask we're dying inside. And see, Jesus came to deal with what's underneath the mask. And yet when we play the performance game, I have to measure up. I can't let this out because this would mean I don't. And instead of being real with what's going on, I feel like I have to wear the mask in order to be accepted. Instead of understanding that God has accepted me, so I don't have to wear the mask. And that if I let him, he'll start to put me back together again. The scary thing about wearing the mask is that we can become so comfortable with the mask that we forget it's on anymore. And what that happens when you get to that spot you don't even know that you don't know who you really are anymore. Because it's all about playing the game. And this gets really ugly in families. Uh, because what happens is that the kids look at mom or dad and they see them wearing the mask. And yet none of us can wear the mask perfectly. Like we leak out all over the place. And in the home, that's where you see the real person most of the time. And so what the kids learn is that, well, mom or dad are like this, and then when we get here, there's somebody totally else. And so I guess that's what it means to be a good Christian. And so I pretend I'm okay too. And the kid starts to wear the mask. And eventually one of two things are going to happen for those kids. As they grow older, 
they become so comfortable with wearing the mask that they just perpetuate a culture of inauthenticity and play the game. And the tragedy with that is that they've just missed out on experiencing Jesus. Or the other thing that's going to happen to that kid is that as they grow older, they're going to chafe beneath the mask and they're going to throw it away and everything else that has to do with it. And they're going to grow jaded and cynical and walk away from religion, but ultimately they're going to miss out on experiencing Jesus. What a pathetic game we play when we wear the masks. But that's not the only thing that wearing the mask leads to. Something else that wearing the mask leads to is this next thing. It leads to being legalistic. Legalism is this way that we play the game in which we make all these extra rules so that we can feel good about ourselves, right? So we go beyond anything God said and we define what it means to be right based on our own effort, right? So in the history of the church, we've had some crazy rules. So if you go back a couple generations or or so, you know, like we had these rules like you can't go and see movies because they're bad, right? I mean, I don't know if anyone remembers that or grew up in an an environment like that. It's like, what? Why? Where is that, right? And I think a modern way we have this rule is like, well, you can't go see R-rated movies because those are bad. It's like, okay, well, well, maybe there's a good sense of trying to be wise in what you watch so that you don't put bad things in front of you or things that cause you to think or do things you shouldn't. But we just kind of have this blanket rule. R-rated movie can't see it. And the sad thing with that is that most of us can't watch The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> yeah, which, what a great movie, right? Oh, it's rated R. Can't watch The Life of Jesus. <laughs> which, by the way, if the Bible was made into a movie, we couldn't watch that movie, <laughs> if you think about it. Because we have these rules. But here's why we make these rules. Because instead of dealing with the issue under the mask, it's a lot easier to make up rules about how to play the game. Because if I can make up all these other rules that I can attain to, I'm not going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, I suddenly feel good about myself because I'm keeping these rules, and it justifies the reason why I'm wearing the mask and not having to deal with what's going on under the mask. And when we do this, We take good things that God has given us and turn them into burdensome things. Let me give you a great example. Reading the Bible. How many of you would say that's a good thing? Wow, okay. We got a lot of ground. All right. (laughs) Yes, that's a good thing. How, How many of you feel guilty because I don't read the Bible enough? Yeah. And yet let me tell you what we do with reading the Bible how we take a good thing and turn it into a legalistic, burdensome thing. In order to be a good Christian, you need to read your Bible every day because that's what a good Christian does. And so you need to have your daily devotional time. And if you're not doing that, you're a bad Christian. And yet what's interesting is I've never read that in here. Like nowhere does it say, Joel, thou shalt have thy daily devotional or whatever, Right? And yet there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible. If, if you can work that in as a discipline in your life, that's awesome. But the goal of reading the Bible isn't so you can get through your day and check it off the list and go, I'm a good Christian, I read my Bible today. The goal of reading the Bible is to look into this and say, God, would you show me who you are and who I am and the life you want me to live? That's the goal. And yet, have you ever been reading your Bible? Okay, we're talking about honesty here. Have you ever been reading your Bible and you start at the top and you get to the bottom and all of a sudden you realize, I'm at the bottom of the page and I have no idea how I got there? <laughs> But I know I read it. Like somehow, I, like some part of me read it, but I couldn't tell you what I read. But if you embrace legalism, you know what you do? Check that off the box. I'm a good Christian. I read my Bible today. It's like, what? How did that benefit you in any way? 
And yet we will do that so that we can feel good about ourselves instead of saying, no, maybe the important thing here is to stop and spend time looking in the mirror of God's word and see who's under the mask and let him meet me in that moment. I think God would be so much more honored, and I think it would be so much beneficial for you if you chucked the legalism of reading the Bible every day and just made it the effort, God, I want, I want to look into your word once a week and then spend the rest of my week living in light of what I saw there. That would benefit you so much more. And yet we do this all the time when we play the performance game. We embrace this legalistic mindset, and we take good things and we turn them into burdensome things. Let me give you another example. How many of you remember these the blue wristbands that we wore this summer when we were doing our water challenge. Remember these? The goal, what was the goal of these? Remember this? To raise money for people in the world who are dying because they don't have clean water. And so we took up this challenge as a church. And anyone who wanted to do this voluntary thing, to take up this challenge. And so the goal was for us to go a week without drinking any other beverages. No Coke, no water, no beer, whatever it is. And to only drink water... And then to take the money we would have spent on those other things and bring it together and pool our resources and see what we could do to give to the poor, to the needy. A good thing. And the goal of the blue wristbands was twofold. One, it was to remind us of what we were doing. Because it's so easy to go into the routine of life. And so the wristband is on my wrist to remember, like, oh, don't get the Starbucks today. Yeah, okay, that's right, that's right. Right? And the other goal of the wristband was to remind us of people in this world who are suffering. And to take that opportunity to say, God, would you break my heart for them? God, would you wake up my awareness for them? Did anyone get a little neurotic about the blue wristband? Anyone? Anyone out there? Yeah, I, I did because uh, the first day of this, Monday, <laughs> I remember I was going to lunch with my friend Michael who's on staff here. And so we were driving to Chipotle. And we're driving there. We both have our blue wristbands on. right? And, and uh, I'm like, oh, Michael, it's going to be so hard to go to Chipotle and not get a Coke. Because they have those carnitas tacos, and to not wash it down with a Coke is going to be tough. So I need, keep me strong, man, when we go and order, all right? Because I want to do this. I want to do something good. And so we get there. We get in line. We get on the counter. We go to order, and it's like, hey, what would you like to drink? Water? All right. Yes, I was strong. And so we go over to the fountain machine, right? And I'm holding my water cup, and I'm like, it would be so easy <laughs> to hit the Coke button. And I would still be doing the right thing because I'd have the money to give. I mean, I'm stealing from Chipotle, but that's really, what does it cost them, right? And I, I'm, I'm helping the man take care of the poor, right, whatever. I'm like, no, be strong, be strong, Joel. So I get my water, and then I grab a wedge of lemon, and I'm squeezing it into the water, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wait a second, is this a violation of the rule? Because at what point do I put too much lemon in the water and it stops being water with lemon, and the ratio is imbalanced, and now it's lemon with water. Oh, man, is this, am I breaking the rule? And then, as Michael and I are standing at the fountain machine, we look up, and in walks through the restaurant, Mike and Rob, our lead and executive pastors. And then I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I got water. <laughs> as if the goal of this was to impress them. You know what they're thinking as they walked in? Ah, oh, there's Michael and Joel. Now we got to get water too. <laughs> but we take good things, a tool to help us, and we turn it into a burdensome rule that hinders us. And we do this all the time. 
when we play the performance game instead of living in the freedom Christ came to give us. And I just, I laugh as I look at that. And I remember I was told, like, man, we got to get back to Galatians soon because this wristband is throwing us for a loop. <laughs> and the next thing that it leads to is this, and this is where it gets really ugly. The performance game leads to condemning others. Because once you start wearing the mask, and once you start embracing legalism, it's not a very happy life. It's not a joy-filled life. And one of the ways that we begin to feel better about ourselves when we play this game is by pointing out the faults and failures of other people. And so if I can see why you're bad, why you're not measuring up, what your issues are, then I don't have to face mine. And it makes me feel good about what, what I'm doing. And how twisted is that? And Jesus tells a story in Luke 18. He tells the story of uh, two men who go into the temple to pray. One of them is a tax collector. In that day, this would be like the, the traitor to your race because this was probably a Jewish man who was selling out his people to the Roman government. And so nobody liked the tax collector, kind of like our day. Um, and so there's this guy that comes in, and, and then there's this other guy that comes in, and he's a Pharisee, one of the religious elite in Jesus' day. What's interesting, when you read through the Gospels, you see the, the, the kind of people that Jesus connected with. It was the people who were messed up and knew it. And the people that Jesus tangled with were the people who were messed up and didn't know it, the religious people. In your life group homework this week, you're going to read out of Matthew 23 the scathing indictment Jesus has against the religious elite in his day. And as you go through your life group homework this week, you're going to see what Jesus has to say about them, their hypocrisy, the mistake that they were making. Your life group homework, by the way, it's available at the point. If you want to pick up a copy, or you can download it online. But as these two men go in to pray this day, Jesus tells the story, and the first man goes to pray, the Pharisee goes to pray, and this is what his prayer is all about. God, thank you that I'm not like other men. That I'm not like this sinner over here, pointing to the tax collector. And then he goes on to list some reasons why he's a good person. And then Jesus says, this is how the tax collector prayed. He walked in, stood off to the side, couldn't even look up to heaven. And he beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said that as both of those men walked away that day. Only one of them walked away justified in God's sight. And it wasn't the religious guy. And this is an ugly game that we can fall into. And here's the thing about the religious approach to God. It's simply a more sophisticated form of rebellion against God. Because basically I'm rejecting what he wants to do for me. And saying, God, I can do it for myself. Thank you very much. And this is why Paul gets in Peter's face. Peter, don't you understand? Don't you get the mistake that you're making when you're doing this? Don't you understand that we've been set free from this? And the good news for us today is that we don't have to play the performance game anymore. That we don't have to try to measure up based on our own efforts, our own hoop jumping we don't have to be the dog show a person anymore. Because if this is what the performance game leads us to, if this is what religion leads us to, Jesus leads us to something else entirely different. Jesus leads us to this. 
He leads us to freedom and rest. Because this is what he's come to do for us. This is what he's come to give us. Jesus invites us into a radically different kind of life. One that lives in freedom from performance. And one that experiences rest from the burden of having to measure up. And this is the life he came to give us. This is the verse that we had on the other side of your message notes to remind us of where we're going in the series. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Because religion, the performance game, is bondage. And he came to rescue us from that. If you're here today, and some of this stuff that we've looked at is resonating with you, if you're here today and you're thinking, hey, I think I'm making a similar mistake to what Peter's making. Because in my journey, in my my trying to follow Jesus, I, I think maybe I'm wearing the mask. I think maybe I'm playing the game. What I want you to know is that you don't have to do that anymore. That whatever reason it is you feel like you have to wear the mask, whatever's hiding under there, he came to deal with that, to pay the price for that, and to lead you into freedom and rest. And if you're here today and you're carrying with you the wounds of religion or the wounds of what religious people have done to you, I want you to understand that that's not who Jesus is. And that's not what he wants for you. He came to give you something entirely different. And so Jesus gives an invitation to all of us. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says these words. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That we don't have to put this burdensome yoke of performance on us anymore that he invites us into a new life. He invites us into relationship with him where we walk with him, we yoke with him, we partner with him, and he takes the brunt of the burden upon himself. And he measures up for us and leads us up into that place as we walk with him. He goes, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I want us to remember this as we get ready to jump back into this series next week to learn to live in this life of freedom. And so the worship team is going to come back out right now. And what I want to invite you to do in this time is to sit back. They're going to sing a song for us. And to reflect on the words of this song and to reflect on where you're at in life today and your journey. And to maybe begin to understand that is there a new sense of freedom that Jesus wants to lead you into today? Is there a sense of rest that he wants to give you today that you don't have to play the game anymore? That he's come to rescue us from all of that and to empower us to live an entirely different kind of life. So this is what Paul's trying to remind Peter of. 
Peter, look, man, once upon a time, you and I, we lived in that old way. We grew up in that old way. We tried to make ourselves right with God by playing the game, and we knew we couldn't. And then we met Jesus. And this is the one that we had waited for all of our lives, that our people had been longing for. And we thought he was going to be a political liberator, but he came to free us up from so much more than simply Rome. He came to free us from the burden of performance. And so here in this place, would you go before the one who's come to free you and to offer you his rest? Lord, we want to come into your presence right now. And Lord, would you help us to be real with you? Lord, wearing the masks, um, it's safe. Because to have to deal with what's underneath them, that terrifies us. And yet, Lord, you paid the price for that. There's nothing in us that you don't know that you haven't come to free us from. And so, Lord, if we're, if we're making that mistake, would you show us that? Would you reveal to us what it looks like to live in the freedom and rest you've come to give us. So here in this moment, we just want to come before you and give you permission to meet with us. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And may you learn to live in that freedom, to live for the one and walk with the one who loved you and gave himself up for you. And I hope you'll be with us next week as we jump back into this series and we continue to learn what it means to live in that freedom. And next week we're going to understand that the reason we can live up to the life he lifts us up to is because he put his spirit in us to grow us and change us from the inside out and to give us a heart that desires what God wants so that we can live for what he wants. And so this week, live it out in such a way that people look at you and go, what's going on? And then you can point to him and bring them on the journey with us. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.